Welcome to What's Your Focus Today, the one and only resource that will get you back on track and focused with your host, Yvonne DeMonk. Focused on disruptive startups that are radically changing the rules. Focused on financial technology as it continues to drive a big part of your life. And focused on gaming and gamification strategies as the new rulers of the universe. So, what's your focus today? Hey Bryce, how are you? Hey, thanks Yvonne for having me. I'm doing well. Welcome to the show on this happy Friday. I'm here on the, the uh, chilly East Coast. I'm not sure where, where you are today. Today we are in uh, sunny San Diego. Oh it's about God. 75 degrees, dead of winter, oh, and uh, not a cloud in the sky, so life's pretty good. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll <laughs> make sure to come over pretty soon. <laughs> yes, please. Anyway, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, I've been following what you guys have been doing yourself and your colleagues. So before we're going to dig into the meat of the, the conversation here, what I'd love to uh, to do here is to get a little bit more of your background, how actually you know you, you came to uh, to do what you do today briefly. So oh, yeah. sort of frame the conversation and I'll do the same thing on my end and we can take it from there. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, real quick at a high level, I, I started off in the media industry uh, working for a consulting firm uh, for different network launches. And kind of in the midst of doing all that, I was doing some licensing and acquisitions. And my CEO kind of came to us one day and was asking if anybody had heard of blockchain. This was, you know, early 2016. Uh, Has anybody heard of blockchain? I've got some friends in the industry. I'd kind of want like a, a detailed report, a little, you know, risk analysis to see how blockchain might affect the media industry. So I got in, started researching um, really like Steam and basic attention token and some, you know, decentralized streaming platform models and giving him this report and and realizing like, holy crap, this is actually the future. Started going to conferences and realized, and then in 2017, the bubble just hit off and I had already been, you know, starting to stack some, some crypto, some Ethereum at, you know, under five bucks and all that kind of stuff, not really thinking much of it. You know, once prices start to skyrocket like they did 30, 40 X, then you, you quickly become radicalized, I think it's fair to say. So, yeah. And then from there, left that gig, started working for another decentralized media platform. From there, did, um, went to a company called XYO, uh, which is a blockchain Oracle, ran biz dev there for a year and then left to uh, take over the Crypto 101 podcast. And from there, wrote a book. And called The Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. That's available at CryptoRevolution.com. Yeah, me and my co-host did that. And uh, yeah, we've just been cranking. Wonderful. Great, great uh, little background there. And how many uh, interviews have you done so far for the podcast? Oh, man, the podcast has well over uh, 300 video or uh, podcast episodes. So about, you know, 320-ish. Very exciting uh, call on the background there. So, you know, from my perspective, just just a quick, you know, overview there as well. And I'm coming from a different world. Um, I really came from Europe 20 years ago, worked on Wall Street for 12 years. And then Mm. in sort of, you know, 2012, really moved sideways into what is now, you know, commonly called the fintech world. I was an early Mm -hmm. player with a number of technologies. Uh, The the first company I uh, I was with a company called Eaglewood, which was really a, an asset manager, but focused on this uh, newly available asset class called P2P or online lending. So it became mm. a very big story at the time, but we were very early, so we were very successful. I did that for a number of years. That was sold to a uh, you know big UK hedge fund manager and a successful you know takeout. And then after that, I uh, actually uh, went to run the US business of a company called James, actually a... Uh, Portuguese-based uh, team of uh, data scientists. 
who really had developed a, uh, a SaaS software that was focused on uh, AI machine learning for lending. So really helping lenders to better, uh, you know, to make better underwriting models. So that yeah. people could, you know, get better access to credit and, and, and basically, you know, lower defaults and, and, and increase uh, sort of the volumes, the origination volumes for the banks or for other sort of fintech companies. So I did that for three years until uh, basically early last year, the company was uh, taken out by Google. So that was a pretty good outcome for investors there as well. And Big so time. during that process, uh, obviously being in financial services and in that fintech world, increasingly I got word of, you know, blockchain and crypto because they were all sort of looking into that and, 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 and thinking about how is it going to impact the classic lending industry as well, if and when. And so I started get, uh, to get very interested in blockchain technology first and then obviously cryptocurrencies in parallel. So, you know, personally started investing in cryptos as well very early on and then a little bit more interest in, into blockchain technology on the back of that. And so here we are. I thought mm -hmm. it was a good idea to develop my own podcast. So a little bit from a different perspective, not too technical, but more sort of a, a macro view on how both blockchain and cryptocurrencies can sort of impact uh, more classic financial services and where it's going to go. But, you know, I must say over the last, you know, six months, nine months, increasingly people that I meet in that world is, you know, I, I got soul on the whole thing and I'm digging deeper and deeper into the whole space. And so it's very exciting, you know, to be able to the, uh, really the best way to learn about the space is, is start your own podcast. That's what I feel yeah. like. You just get to talk to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So so that's that's a little bit where I come from. And so what I'd like to do is really. Uh, you know, freewheel a little bit with you on, on what you've learned over these still recent past in your conversation with some of your uh, some of your guests and where where you think, uh, you know, we can, you know, we can go to. So maybe why don't you, because I know you have a, maybe you want to talk about it. You have a, a summit coming up, I think at the end of the month. So maybe let's start there. What, what's the idea of your summit? What are you going to discuss there? And, and what are you expecting uh, to come out of that? And then so that lays the groundwork of uh, our further discussion. Yeah, sure. So for the summit real quick, you know, we got 60 speakers, cats, you know, big time cats from the, you know, biggest VCs, hedge funds, coins, yeah. all sorts of space. Yeah, they're coming on just to give their vision for 2020, really. Product roadmaps and trends that they see unfolding. We talk a lot about staking. We talk a lot about DeFi. We talk a ton about the Bitcoin halving, sure. um, different privacy coins, and, you know, big theme is cross-chain interoperability, uh, lots of regulation discussion. So, Kind of the vision for this was, you know, it's a free online summit. Go to the URL and you can kind of just log in. And, you know, we go to conferences all around the world, but they're so prohibitively expensive. And, yeah. you know, the time, the time toll that it takes both on speakers and attendees, it's just, you know, it's just not a very efficient industry. And so we said, you know, we've got a lot of guys here that work on, you know, online marketing and are, right. are very savvy with that. So we said we could deliver a ton of value for free both to the speakers on the supply side, really, and the demand side with getting the crypto curious involved. And it's one of those things we've already got about 6,000 attendees, um, haven't really even started marketing it yet. It's just been all natural word of mouth and just people in the industry trying to, basically everybody just wants to evangelize and get the, get the word out. And so, and people want to learn. No, no, that's great and exciting to to hear that always yeah. people signed up there. Now, without giving anything away, obviously, and, and what's going to be said there and, and some things that you may already know, what's sort of the, the big trends that you feel at the beginning of mm. this year after a very interesting, you know, 2019, where obviously we had, a, again, a massive correction, some interest going, you know, back and forth. 
looks like the year is uh, starting you know, quite strong. Do you see already a certain direction for the year where it's going to go? I know the halving is, is going to be a big thing, but wh why don't you share some of your thoughts there and wh where you think, you know, where we were last year and how do you see the year develop, uh, you know, what you know today? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things to talk about is price as well, because I, I kind of feel price is, you know, the main indicator that can show adoption and traction in the industry. Yeah. You know, 6,500 for Bitcoin, 6,500 US dollars was over the last three years, the most actively traded price point. Right. And we we broke through that on the downside in December or in November of 2018 a uh, really hard crashed all the way down to 3500 and then had to consolidate a little bit there for a couple months and then it should have acted as extremely heavy resistance on the way up but we sliced through it like you know a, a knife through warm butter topped out at 14 and then I was always, you know, you could go back and listen to the podcast, you know, Weekly Fire, when we were doing it around that time, you know, always calling, hey, we need to have a retest of that, you know, massive volume profile. You know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of activity and interest there. So we tested 6,500 for, for literally a month, uh, just kept poking through it and coming back up. And it was like a beach ball underwater. So the fact that we made it back above 6,500 solid support, we're playing around with 8K where, you know, I think price for Bitcoin is bottomed out, especially with the halving. You know, there's about $14 million a day of Bitcoin that's being produced right now, about 1,800 Bitcoin. In a, in a step function, in an instant, it will be reduced to 900 Bitcoin released, um, you know, every day. So to me, a supply side effect like that is not only unparalleled and unprecedented in any other asset class, but and so we really don't know exactly how things are going to work out. But it, it would be foolish to go into the having short. If you if you I wouldn't be selling call options here for the end of the year. That's for freaking sure. So so on the in the Bitcoin side, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see some outperformance in the altcoin space for for some of the you know the top top twenty top thirty cryptos. Um, we're gonna see some we're gonna see some alpha in, in those markets, but not without a lot of volatility. As you, as everybody here, I'm listening. Listening, I'm sure knows the crypto space is notorious for volatility. Oh yeah, yeah. You but have a strong it, stomach there to uh, to go through. You got to have a really strong stomach, and you know, and I'm kind of young enough to be able to have a pretty high risk tolerance. I don't have much overhead uh, for living. No kids. You know, it makes it it makes it uh it just makes it fun. But kind of you know away from price and more on like technical trends and just ideas that we're talking a lot about in crypto uh, for the summit, in the book, uh, just in the conversations that we have, you know, one of the main, you know, areas of interest is staking. Um, and, and for somebody who's hearing the term staking, they don't know what it is. You know, you don't really need to understand much of uh, the technical stuff behind it. All you need to really understand is that it's kind of like an interest bearing instrument. So people are come. People understand that when they're like, "Oh, I'm going to hold a, a U.S. bond, right?" And I'm going to get you know two percent interest on that or a return. So if you think, I, I never really actually had this analogy before, but it just kind of popped in my head. But like holding a U.S. bond is almost like holding a coin and staking it. You know, you're holding the debt of something, uh, and with and you get a return for that. And so with staking, you know, you basically put your coins, you lock them up essentially through a smart contract. And then you're playing a role in validating the network. You become like a, effectively like a, a miner on a network. And basically one of the, the really cool, impressive staking coins that is getting actual adoption here uh, is a coin called Tezos. 
And I only mentioned Tezos because three of the biggest exchanges in crypto just recently launched a staking program or staking support for only one coin. And that was Tezos. It's Coinbase, Binance, and Kraken, the three, three of the, the, the single largest exchanges in the space. And, you know, one of the things that I think both of everyone listening could agree upon is like, you don't have companies build out extremely technical infrastructure for millions and millions of customers if you don't think that that coin really has a long tail potential. So to me, they signaled to the market that this coin, which has a billion dollar market cap, uh, relative to a lot of the other uh, smart contract platforms, it's, it's pretty undervalued and staking support. So you could go on, you could make about 8% a year on these coins. And sure, if it's a dollar right now or a dollar 25, you make 90 coins. Sure, you're like, oh, I made 90 bucks this year. Sure. But I think we all know what happened. Uh, you know, when I was buying Ethereum under $5 and it went to $1,600, <laughs> nobody understood that. So imagine just that one coin that you could get. So I, I mean, a, a market cap at a billion dollars for Tezos with an addressable market cap of trillions, mm -hmm. I think it's a really undervalued buy. And those, not, you know, you stake one Tezos, maybe you get one back. You, know, you never know how much that'll turn into with these markets. So that's one of the big things that we're talking about is staking and trends in that. We talk a lot about the halving. Like I had mentioned earlier, Bitcoin's yeah. issuance schedule starts to slow down. We talk a lot about exchange coins. I think that's one of the really interesting trends that picked up you know, actually in the, in the midst or in the darkness of the heart of the bear market in 2018, we saw the launch of uh, coins like KuCoin shares, Bitfinex's Leo token, Binance's BNB token. All these tokens are pseudo securities. Um, they've got a very nebulous classification. So if you're an American listening to this, you, you just need to make sure that you're jurisdictionally playing in the right lane. But these coins are extremely interesting because you not only have buybacks by the exchanges for these tokens, which lifts mm -hmm. the price, you don't only have a limited supply of these things, but you have uh, really interesting burn models. And so burning is something that generally doesn't happen in the traditional stock market, but it happens a lot with these exchange tokens where they basically reduce the supply of a token proportional to how much revenue in Bitfinex's case or how much profit in Binance's case, they burn that amount. So you have a deflationary asset which is, is really nice, uh, you know, a really nice addition to your portfolio if you're looking for some beta or for some non-correlation to the other crypto markets. So that kind of stuff is really fun. And kind of the last thing I think we've been talking a lot about is this, this theme or this idea of cross-chain interoperability, you know, cross-chain value transfers. And some of the coins that are doing that really well, or, or I guess one of the coins is something called Cosmos Network, and the ticker is ATOM. Uh -huh. And we had Jack uh, Zamplin from, from that company come on and talk to us about that. But basically, you'll be able to have a platform where you could turn you know, Bitcoin into Ethereum or Tezos into Litecoin. And, and, and the implications for that are, are pretty massive, but it's just going to you know, be something that runs in the back end that users never really need to know about right. that just right. makes life just so much easier. So... And I think it's going to be live somewhere next year, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they are cranking. Yeah, I think I, I, I heard that interview was, was really quite interesting. Putting you on the stop there, on the spot with one of your guests that I also had on my show, uh, Alex Mashinsky from Celsius. Oh, yeah, uh, big with, time. Uh, with the cell coin. What, what are your thoughts there, what, what he's doing? And, um, you know, how, how do you think about the whole plan there? 
Yeah, Alex Mashinsky was genuinely one of my favorite guests to have on. Uh, we we recorded a long another long interview with him a couple weeks ago for the summit. So if you guys yeah. are interested in hearing some some more about that, but yeah, yeah uh, I'm a big fan of the Celsius platform. They've already given out uh, or not given out, but uh, facilitated two billion dollars in loans. You He's could earn interest on all your. Oh, four and a half already. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah they're <laughs> sorry. Yes, uh, four and a half billion dollars, which is just really unparalleled for anybody else in the industry. Yeah, I really like their platform. The sell token recently uh, within the last couple of weeks has really caught in a big bid. Yep. People are excited about earning more uh, interest and all that sort of thing. So Celsius platform is awesome. BlockFi, another great lending platform. You, you touched upon briefly uh, the regulatory environment, I believe. What are your thoughts there in terms of you know what's happening on the regulatory side? How do you see the US evolve compared them to some other jurisdictions globally so i think i think it's an important part of the discussion as well do you have any particular sort of feelings or thoughts on how things have developed and how you think the us is maybe catching up because i would argue that the us is, is probably one of the least attractive places if, if you go <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. so uh, what, what are your thoughts there absolutely uh before i move on to that remind me to circle back on something I want to talk about in regards to lending. I think we're kind of in a lending bubble right now, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. And I'm excited to pick your brain on that because I mean, you come from the lending markets as well, but yeah, in regards to us regulation, man, things have been tough for American companies. We saw circle have to move out, uh, move out of America to Bermuda. We see everybody just getting pinched. See one of the things I'm really excited about is the financial services innovation act that representative Patrick McHenry, yeah. Um, I think he's from North Carolina or maybe Ohio. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah he, he introduced this bill, which is super, super interesting. And basically, you know, it's, it's, you know, people understand it as a sandbox, a regulatory sandbox, but he likes to call it a permanent public beta and basically allows for a company to apply for a kind of a, a compliance agreement within the financial service innovation office that if you're accepted for that, it will allow you to have your innovative product or service, whether it's crypto or blockchain, under an alternative compliance plan. That is, it, it really waives or modifies regulation that is out of date or burdensome. So I'm really excited about seeing the adoption and the, the vote of confidence behind that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was uh, also know, the guy, by and, the and, way, who was behind the, uh, uh, with the Jobs Act, I believe, at the time. Right. Um, and, and who was also very, you know, pushing for the whole online lending kind of development that, that yeah he was very formative in the in the regulation a plus offering yep. uh, as well so he, he's been a huge proponent and a huge ally to the crypto industry warren davidson is another representative yes. republican representative who's been an ally to the space oh one of the really interesting things i don't know if you saw this uh, Vaughn, but it was kelly leffler who was the ceo of backed which uh -huh. is the you know intercontinental exchange uh -huh. ice they own backed they offer physically settled bitcoin futures and warehousing and custody it's also owned by a little guy named jeff sprecher who's the ceo of ice i'm sure everybody knows these names anyhow kelly leffler is now a senator <laughs> for the state of georgia or something like i don't know if she's a senator but she went to go uh work in some high position in the government body so she actually left as ceo to go be a politician so we have somebody who is now 
in a position of governmental power well, that knows what the heck they're talking about and has built enough. successful crypto businesses. Yeah. yeah. Well, very, very, very exciting. And so uh, in your conversation, not on the professional side, but in your sort of day to day with friends and family, um, how is that conversation, you know, if you talk about Bitcoin or crypto or whatever, do they still declare you're completely nuts or, or do, you, do you feel there is slowly some more understanding coming or, or what's what's your <laughs> it's it's funny like uh i was actually just having a conversation with one of my buddies yesterday telling him about all this stuff that we do and it's a new friend who didn't really know much about the kind of work i do he just thinks mm -hmm. i'm you know a homie that we're all hanging out with a big group of friends but i was telling him i was talking for 15 minutes and he goes dude this is insane he goes like you're not only in a, the best industry with crypto and like having a podcast, but I feel like this stuff is going to take off. And like, I've never met anybody that, that knows anything about this stuff. And so basically the point I'm trying to make here is that it's a very small industry. Nobody really knows what's going on. Even kids that are, you know, 25, 26 years old, they've never heard the word cryptocurrency or blockchain. They might've heard of Bitcoin, but they still, they still are kind of unaware, right? Sure. They don't really know what's going on. So from that, from that perspective, you know, it's, it's still very unadopted. My parents are just now starting to say, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin isn't dead yet. So maybe it's, it's going to be worth something in the future, sure. but the on ramps and off ramps are still, you know, they make people nervous. People don't want to connect their bank accounts. People don't want to enter their social security number. There's all sorts of little things like that for getting money in and out of crypto. That's a big hiccup. From the enterprise side, I mean, 80, we saw 82 or 83 out of the Fortune 100 companies have blockchain programs, have hired blockchain engineers, are, are rolling out all sorts of different pilot programs and initiatives. So when I was at XYO, we were working with some of the largest companies on doing similar stuff. And so I'm excited for the enterprise adoption just from the, how do I put it? from the implied demand it's not necessarily and and how that will affect crypto asset prices in the future because you know you use a private blockchain or a consortium blockchain is what they're kind of being called now where you could have a, a shared pool of data between all sorts of different companies to tap into uh, preserve privacy but leverage a shared pool of data that everybody generates uh, and use that for applications just to kind of yeah. make everybody better and, and train AI models and all sorts of stuff. But that doesn't affect crypto because you don't have any, you know, publicly traded assets. But what it does is it puts crypto in the news more, in the media more, uh, more acceptance in the mind of the general public. And that's really what we need. And that's what the whole last three years has been is like, you know, the bubble's done. Uh, now we have to build a new base and break up through new highs and in, in crypto prices and stuff. And then we'll, we'll maybe see another bubble unfold here within the next couple of years. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the stuff that's going on in enterprise adoption and people are starting to take this stuff seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. I just wanted to give you know two examples uh, that I'm familiar with. The guys uh, out west, I don't know if you know them, Spring Labs. They basically have developed uh, or in the process of developing a uh, blockchain-based credit scoring model that basically all the banks could use. And so they're going to have a shared ledger. They're very uh, far advanced. There are already some fintech companies that are actually uh, in bed with them and using them, which I think is a very interesting development. It's, it's basically a company that could you know, put the three or four uh, big guys that we all know out of business, like from one day to another. So it's going to take some time, but it's very disruptive and very interesting. And another company that I think is doing extremely well, well, I know they're doing extremely well, and it's completely changing uh, 
a massive amount of business on the lending side. It's a company called Figure, right? It's Mike uh, Kagan, oh, yeah. who, uh, right? Who uh, created SoFi before. I mean, it's amazing what they already do, all blockchain-based, completely reinventing mortgage financing, home equity loans, but also just normal normal lending and, and securitizing everything through the blockchain. And literally, if you if you if you look at the details there, you can you can have a mortgage there or a HELOC literally done in in five to ten minutes versus you know a normal process that takes at least a couple of weeks at any you know financial institution just just thinking about that that actually this is happening today i think it's very exciting very few people are aware that this is this is happening as as we speak so i think yeah a lot a lot to be very excited about for sure yeah um, the efficiencies that the blockchain kind of unlocks are you, you can't overstate them and the question that I had, though, what in your mind, and I'm not sure it's going to happen this year, but what do you think is, is going to be needed to really get to that, let's say, hockey stick moment in terms of adoptions with the masses? Is that Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, time-wise, is that years away, or do you see somewhere an application or something that, that could make this happen? What, what do you think? Yeah, so there's a couple things to unpack here. I think just first we need robust architecture for consumer apps. And what do I mean by that? And basically in 2017, November 2017, you had companies like Coinbase or Poloniex that would shut down, just their servers would literally get overloaded because there was, they weren't ready to scale up so quick. Right. Every time there was a spike in the price of Bitcoin, you couldn't log into your app. And it, it was literally ridiculous, it was laughable, but we, we brought an order of magnitude more users onto these apps that just weren't ready for mains, the main the main stage essentially. So that's something that in the last three years, I know companies have just been been building not only consumer uh, consumer facing uh, infrastructure to support you know millions of users as opposed to what we were used to back in 2015, 2016, which was a couple thousand users. Yep. Um, nobody nobody foresaw the 2017 bubble. Nobody. Yep. And it just went to show the the implicit or the underlying demand that was in the market that was really lying dormant for a long time. And then I'm an, I'm a proponent of this belief of market reflexivity, insofar as higher prices always beget higher prices, right? right? So, and what I mean by that is the average retail investor, whether it's you know my girlfriend or my parents or my grandma or my neighbor. They don't understand crypto. They don't necessarily speculate on owning any crypto, but what they will eventually have to do is own crypto because they won't be able to fricking stand it. And what do I mean by that? They will see prices rise and rise and rise and Bitcoin fulfilling its value proposition as a money that is deflationary and counteracts inflation and appreciates in value over time. Like, you know, a, like a like a stock or like gold, it has value and it produces more value. Um, so it rises and they will end up buying prices at a higher price, whether that is and when they're more comfortable, really, because like when I talk to these 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 family or the community members, you know, they're like, I just don't get it. And if you don't get it at $5,000, right, you don't understand it, probably not really gonna understand it at 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000 dollars either, because you know, but you're gonna wanna buy it because That's you're like, well, it went to yeah. 30, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, they, they really only want to get in when everybody else is in and that's kind of the idea of the crowd where you have to go against the crowd you have to be a contrarian in these markets yeah. and so i mean that, that's that's one of the things that i find interesting is that we're just we're going to definitely see another bubble probably 
I mean, my projection, I think we're definitely going to see a slow and steady rise in 2020 towards the back half of 2021. I definitely think things are going to go back to a mania phase. But yeah, basically, kind of at the end of the day, people, the, the average consumer wants to hold something that other people are holding. And by that time, the price, like the, the demand has already been priced in. So you're going to have less, you're going to have less upside. So I'm trying to tell my friends, look, you got to buy Bitcoin under, you know, 8,000 bucks because this is going to be the lowest it goes in, in a very long time. But yeah, it, so I guess we need that. Maybe from the institutional side, one of the things I'm seeing is, you know, we're going to have CME, uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is going to be offering options on their Bitcoin futures product. So the Bitcoin futures product is really, really neat product. It's cash settled. There's a big debate there about whether a cash settled futures product for Bitcoin implicitly inflates the supply, the hard cap supply of 21 million because they're all cash settled. But they're, they're very helpful for funds and institutional asset managers to hedge their risk. And, and, and a lot of Bitcoin miners use it too. It's not a retail product. You have the minimum lot to trade is $25,000. It's, it's a notional five Bitcoin. But the CME options that they're launching, they should be launching them on the 13th, pending some regulatory approvals yeah, we'll of see. January, but definitely in Q1 of 2020, we'll see options. And that's just going to allow, I mean, the, you know, Bitcoin itself is becoming a financialized product for better or for worse, but the more derivatives and the more liquidity on both sides of Bitcoin, the better it is for price discovery, the more that we could really realize the value of this thing over the long term. So it's kind of a double-edged sword especially with the cash settle. I mean, back has physically settled. Uh, there's probably going to be some other physically settled products that are running off the back of backed, excuse the pun. But yeah, yeah I'm really excited about also, uh, yeah, just the, just the financialization of, of these assets. And I, I, one of my big bets also is that we'll probably see Ethereum futures here yep. on the CME pretty soon. So Since, way, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the only assets that have been classified by, you know, this uh, SEC and the CFTC uh, and the IRS and all those, you know, governmental bodies that these two assets are not securities. They're sufficiently decentralized. They pass the Howey test. So that's, that's really interesting as well. Uh, if I may ask, are you, are you more personally than a, uh, a trader kind of person or are you uh, a hodler like, uh, you know, so many others? Yeah, that's, that, that's a great question. There's a couple ways that I like to think about you know, my role as an investor or a speculator in the industry, I definitely have a long-term little holding of, of Bitcoin that I make sure I don't touch. It's just kind of there. Think of it like your 401k or something sure. that, you know, it's a risky for, it's like if you, if you turn your 401k up to the highest risk possible, but again, young enough to be able to kind of tolerate the volatility in your long-term savings account. Yep. Um, and then I definitely like to uh, swing trade some of the the smaller you know assets. They're a little more li illiquid. You'll see some slippage uh, in those yeah. markets as well. If you even try and place like a five thousand dollar order, um, you're you're yeah. gonna <laughs> you're you're not gonna be able to get filled sometimes for days, yeah. which is kind of silly. But uh, I definitely like to to keep a a basket of some cryptocurrencies and and digital assets that I think are going to outperform Bitcoin over a certain period of time. So I always need to make sure that, or anybody who's listening needs to make sure that their time frame, their time frame analysis is accurate because, you know, Ethereum might out, or Ethereum, or for instance, let's call it Tezos, which is an even smaller cryptocurrency. 
that might outperform Bitcoin like it did in 2019 by 114% it outperformed Bitcoin. But in a different time frame, it might underperform Bitcoin. So the key is really knowing when to get in, when to get out. The way I do that is just, I mean, it's really basic. It's just you, ha you, you have um, support and resistances essentially. And if you find a long-term support, if that, if that long-term price support uh, continues to act as support, you could place bids there, place some sells at some resistances. Uh, I use, I like to use Bollinger Bands, which is just a 20-day moving average, two standard deviations above that, two standard deviations below that. Act as your kind of dynamic support and resistance that you could trade against or use that as your goal, uh, goal posts, essentially. But yeah, I, I definitely think that having a small basket of, uh, of some of these altcoins is extremely prudent, especially as you see the, the correlations between Bitcoin and altcoins break down, which is the phase of the market that we're in right now. Yep. What do I mean by that? I basically mean that the ratio between Bitcoin and altcoin. So if I'm trading Tezos for Bitcoin, Tezos starts to outperform Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin is also outperforming the dollar in a secular bull market, then the altcoin is just outpacing Bitcoin in terms of US dollar gains. Yep. So I think it would be foolish to not have a percentage of your portfolio allocated to some of these mid to high cap cryptocurrencies. You know, I, I don't like to speculate on any of anything really outside of the top 100, maybe the top 200. I think I, I, the only coin I have in the top 200 is, you know, one of these coins called Ocean Protocol. It's uh, maybe 191 out of 200 right now. Uh -huh. But outside of that, it's just any of these things could go to zero. So the mid caps, the high caps, top 50, you're going to be able to find some really, 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 really good opportunities in there to uh, make some more Bitcoin. And you could, however you value your portfolio, if you keep track of your portfolio value in US dollars or any sort of currency, it's generally right now, what Q1 2020 is a great time to start accumulating. And then, you know, maybe looking so. for some, some sell-offs here and towards the end of the year. I agree. I agree. And uh, let me see what else there was. Yes, you had some questions on the lending side, right? That you want to ask. Yeah, or what's, uh, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that I see, I, I mean, interest rates are for uh, cryptocurrencies right now. You could go to Celsius or whatever. You can make 5%, 6% on lending your Bitcoin out. But, you know, a lot of people are talking about, okay, well, there's a lot of lenders, but there's not really a lot of borrowers right now. So, which makes me think we're in a little bit of a lending bubble for the market. I, I kind of just wanted to get your take on what you see as, as trends for, you know, peer-to-peer -peer interest rates, um, how the market is pricing these things in. And yeah, just a little bit on that end. Well, you're, done, you're talking more about classic finance then. Oh, I'm talking about actual, I mean, we could definitely talk about sure. interest rate. I definitely do want to talk about like interest rates that the Fed is setting, you know, sure. artificially low uh, to keep the price of money cheap, keep the stock market propped up obviously have been printing a shit ton of money too, yeah. uh, which devalues everybody's savings. You know, the more money that is floating makes the $1 that you hold actually have less purchasing power. And again, yeah. these, these artificially low interest rates, some countries are even seeing negative interest rates, which completely erodes or denigrates the, the concept or the time value of money, right? Oh yeah, you it think kills that, capitalism. I mean, it's just like- <laughs> it, it, it puts capitalism on its fucking head. Yeah, in, in Excuse my language. In Europe, you know, in some countries in Europe, uh, still today, you, they actually pay you to take out a mortgage. So, so you can take out a mortgage with a negative interest rate. So you have to pay back less at the end of the period. I mean, it's absolutely insane. 
And so uh, obviously values are uh, inflated everywhere and, and the ECB mm -hmm. continues to, to print money and it's not going to get any better anytime soon. So and one, I, of the th I, and one of the things that people don't really realize is that like, if you look at a stock market or if you look at the price of any asset, whether it's Bitcoin or you know, an, a U.S. equity or U.S. real estate, people don't really realize that that number, 29,000 for the, for the S&P, SP, right? 29,000 points. What does that mean? Well, it's just basically the inverse of how much capital is flowing throughout the, the market. Oh, and 100% the, correlation. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And people yeah. don't realize that. And it's, what, yeah. and it's so simple that the more money that is out there, the more US dollars or the more fiat currencies, which is the denominator of value. It's not the value in and of itself. It's the denominator of value. The more it is out there and the weaker that that denominator comes, the bigger the numerator gets. People are saying, oh, the stock market is going to crash. It's too high. It's overvalued. It's not that it's overvalued or that it's too high. It's just that we're, we're going through what, you know, economists call inflation, which is rising asset prices and, you know, cheapening uh, of the dollar. So, and we're also doing that strategically uh, in order to devalue our trade debts yeah. to, you know, China and other countries. The more outstanding debt we have, you know, is, is bad for, for our trade deals. But if we devalue the amount or the or if we devalue you know how much that debt is actually worth right because we devalue the dollar which that debt is denominated in then we all of a sudden flip the flip the balance on the on the trade deals so that stuff is really interesting as well but yeah no <laughs> that's, a, that's <laughs> a whole different discussion but i i think it's gonna uh, I'm I'm very negative actually on on the economic outlook, and I think we're we're gonna hit at some point, probably not before, you know, the presidential elections is over, but um, we're gonna hit that so-called Minsky moment at some point, and and something is gonna crack, and it's always gonna uh, come back from somewhere else that we haven't seen before. It's not gonna be the housing market, uh, maybe commercial credit, maybe somewhere else, but you know, at mm -hmm. some point something is gonna happen. And then everybody is going to, you know, run for the same door at the same time. And then we know what happens, right? So, yeah. and, and I'm, it's not that I'm waiting for that moment because it's never pleasant and you can mm -hmm. never, you can never foresee that coming. But at some point when, if, and when that happens, then I think you're going to have that next wave of massive movement of capital into um, the crypto space and into Bitcoin more in particular, because People will 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 realize that you know we, we continue to print dollars like there's no tomorrow, and at some point uh, I don't say it has to stop, but it will become a major problem. And there are alternatives out there now, uh, cryptos being you know the, the the most obvious one, to really uh, increasingly see that as a safer haven, as a as you said deflationary mm -hmm. currency, where you know increasingly this this aspect of you know. Uh, a place of value, store of value, will become much more apparent as you know the markets come down and as some things become more obvious. The the kind of problems that we have, but that's sort of my my macro view. So I'm I'm uh, I'm looking at that happening down down the down the line within the next 12 to 18 months. But I think it's going to be very exciting, and I think it all points to massive potential, massive upside for the crypto space in general, and then you know Bitcoin in particular. Yeah, I, I mean, we definitely, I mean, everybody loves to talk about the inverted bond yield, the bond curve that's going on right now, where basically we're pricing, the market's starting to price in a near term, you know, heavy crash, which is kind of interesting. But I think, you know, there's also an arbitrage opportunity here is as the market's pricing in a near term crash, and, and nobody's, you know, saying nobody's going long stocks right now. So I think we're like, nobody like retail, right? 
you know, you still have your institutional managers who are, you know, getting cheap free money and, and yeah. still pr repricing their assets and marking them up. But I'm saying no retail person is because they think, oh, well, it's already gone up so much. It's already gone up so much. It can't go higher. But we're in this phase where, you know, it, we will start to ha see retail FOMO and everybody just longing, longing the market because it's not coming down, like you said, in the near term, even though the market's starting to price that in. But once the, the correction is going to be quick and, and, and really nasty. And I wouldn't be surprised, kind of like you said, there's going to be that Minsky effect or the Minsky moment when like how it was, you know, Lehman Brothers going down yeah. in 2008 and 2009, which caused millions of people, particular people in the real estate industry, just to get fucking smammered, like absolutely destroyed. Banks had to foreclose so, so many houses. And it, it was such a dirty thing that happened because of some some essentially, you know, really junky, junky loans that were out there and people were never going to be paying back these massive loans that they got. And, and then we were packaging, you know, the, the cash flows of those interest repayments into securities and selling those. And once you realize what was going on, you're like, oh my God, that's insane. And, you know, Lehman, hap you know, happened to own a substantial amount of those really, yeah. really mortgage backed securities that were never going to be fulfilled. And it was just the easiest short sell, you know, the big short, right? The easiest short sell in history. Yeah. But th that being said, you know, we're seeing Deutsche Bank showing serious signs of, of, of collapse. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be one of these big banks. I mean, it's fundamentally, systematically, inherently how the system works. You know, but again, you know, the, these banks are so over leveraged. Yeah. Um, they have so much outstanding debt and they're, they're always just you know, one quarter away from wiping out from, from an entire wipeout. And it's going to fall on the back of, you know, the EU for, for the taxpayers, yeah. the EU. That's why Brexit is happening. That's why, you know, we're, you know, Britain is trying to, or, you know, the United Kingdom, whatever's happening over there is trying to insulate themselves from the economic catastrophe that is going to happen to every citizen as, as part of the EU, because one big bank is going to cause another big bank and another big bank and another big bank. To, it's a domino effect. Sure. And so once one falls, it's, it's just a really scary cascade uh, and avalanche really, because everybody starts to not trust anybody and nobody, and you know, the overnight lending market, right? The repo market starts to shoot up. Like we saw 10% overnight lending uh, rates earlier in or later i should say in 2019 when that's kind of everybody saying hey i don't i don't think you're good for for your money so i'm going to charge you an extremely high interest rate on this yeah. loan i don't think you're good for it i don't think you're good for it now you have the, a, a situation where the banks don't trust each other to lend to each other and when and when we get into another financially sticky point like that we're going to see it's just going to be it's going to be bad so i don't want that to happen and i think that nobody wants that to happen that's why we're having this whole quantitative easing and money printing from these central banks around the world but what people don't realize is that sure it keeps the system going sure yeah. you know it's the lubricant right money's the lubricant to the system to keep everybody happy you know the federal reserve or central banks have two mandates they have to keep inflation low and they have to keep unemployment low so there's no riots that's literally in in their charters is that you know you target inflation and unemployment and we 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 don't people don't realize that all this money printing is stealing their value that they're producing in their careers or in their investments that money is being devalued by these negative interest rates and by money printing. So once people realize that, then they'll wake up to the idea of Bitcoin as an alternative financial system that is completely insulated, right? It's got a blast shield around it. It's completely insulated from anything that any central bank or any government can do to F up 
a system and sure it's going to it's there's a long tail to it right you're not this not it's not going to happen overnight we're not going to rebuild the financial architecture overnight but bitcoin's a first start and people see the people only see the price rise and fall and they just think like what is it it's just this digital internet money but people don't realize it's an entire it's just an entire new system you could build new banks on top of bitcoin you could build new apps that use bitcoin and it's just money and, and people really People really start waking up to that when they have to. Right now, everything works. Everything's good. Nobody's fear, fearing, you know, for their job. Even though we did, you know, President Trump just put out a, actually a pretty bearish jobs report for the Q4 that missed its numbers. We we undershot what we thought we were gonna do. So that wasn't good. So the trend is starting to reverse on employment. But yeah, people are people don't really think they need Bitcoin because, frankly, they don't right now. It's still in its you know early days. It's only 11 years old. Yeah. Um, there's not that much and it's a $180 billion market cap or whatever. It's, it's really small. But once we start to see global panic, I mean, we saw it with the Greece crisis. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, and we're seeing it now with the Hong Kong crisis and in Venezuela and Zimbabwe, every time that the media picks one of these things up, that there's a currency that's inflating or, or basically a government that is inflating a currency because it's on the verge of collapse, yeah. uh, you see the price of Bitcoin start to tick up because it is this, I like to think of Bitcoin as this, just this giant pool, this dark hole or this black hole, I should say that every country in the world could pour money into, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And because you don't, you know, you can't, you know, a Venezuelan can't easily put their money into the US dollar. They can't easily put their money into the US stock market. A, a Hong Kong citizen who's trying to flee all the uncertainty that's going on over there with the communist takeover, they can't just go to a foreign exchange counter and buy US dollars to preserve their currency. It's illegal. There are, there are um, you know, capital flight laws that literally prohibit that kind of stuff. And you can't hold, you know, $10,000 or more of a foreign currency in several countries. And like, why do they do that? Because fiat currencies, fiat means decree, it's a mandate. It is a currency that is mandated for people to hold, but it's not a currency that the free market holds. So what Bitcoin does is blast the doors wide open on that and basically is a free market money that, hey, let the people decide, let the global citizens, all right, we're increasingly in a globally connected world and a globally online networked world that people now could say, hey, I want a money that you know works for me and doesn't work against me. And really the only reason, I mean, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that there's any demand for, for instance, the US dollars, because the IRS issues three trillion dollars a year in tax liabilities people don't realize this those tax liabilities are payable in and only in u.s dollars and it goes the same for every government around the world they issue tax liabilities that are payable only in their currency that they issue so it props up the price uh, of a of a currency or the value of a currency and uh, it, it's because you're you're required to use it but then also you have the government dumping more into the ecosystem which so it's just it's just a crazy world so anyhow i, I don't want to go on too long about that <laughs> stuff but i'm obviously super passionate about what's going on here in the world and getting people to kind of wake up and see like this macro like i like to zoom out and look at the macro trends right sometimes yeah. i don't like to get too too in the nitty-gritty or in the technicals but in the macro level like there's a lot of stuff brewing uh yeah. in the belly of the beast and bitcoin is just a just a perfect, perfect asset to hold to hedge against uncertainty in the political and governmental realms. Yeah, and, and I, I just wanted to add that, you know, it's not that long ago that we had famous bank holidays in Europe, you know, Cyprus and whatnot, where people realized that from one day to another, they can, you know, just uh, skim, uh, you know, 20, 30, 50% of your savings. I said, too bad, you know, it's, uh, 
you're out. And um, yeah, <laughs> I think they will definitely remember that moment again, not that long ago. Next time, uh, the next uh, crisis comes around, and then I yeah, think there's no doubt. I, one of the things I love, I love uh, like telling people is like people. A lot of people don't realize that you know banks only trade about you know 200 days a year, or, or um, the stock market only trades collectively about 200 days a year, yeah. five, eight hours a day or seven hours a day. And you know, Bitcoin is open 24-7, 365. The whole crypto markets are open 365 days a year. They never sleep. Banks have bank holidays, yeah. like you just said, right? Closed on Christmas, can't go, all these kinds of things. So once you realize that you know, crypto is really money at the speed of life, it's money at the speed of you know automatic programs and, and fully digital networked companies. Um, it's money that is software first and foremost. There, there's no subjectivity, right? It's a completely objective environment. Yep. So w once people realize that this whole combination of like, hey, why don't we get an upgrade to money? Um, I think they that, that moves at the speed of life. Like you could send it anywhere in the world instantly for 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 virtually no cost. That's a really powerful idea. I just want to ask you maybe a final question here. We, we didn't talk about it, I think, in detail uh, as of yet. But what do you think about the miners, the activity in the mining world specifically, and then the way it's going to be affected after the halving uh, in May? Yeah, that, 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 what thoughts there? That's a great question. Yeah, we talked to a lot of miners. We talked to a lot of people that take Bitcoin from miners uh, as, as, a, as um, you know, borrowers of their Bitcoin, essentially. Miners... Have, have the most important role in the industry and they're the most elusive as well, not only in terms of how they make profits and what they do, but you know, they like to stay under the radar. These are also the biggest holders of Bitcoin, but these guys are net net extremely long on Bitcoin. And why do I say net net? I basically mean to say that they invest enormous amounts of capital in spinning up hardware, right? To secure the Bitcoin right. network. Yeah. They spend, you know, millions and tens of millions. Peter Thiel is opening up something like a $150 million uh, data center. Reid Hoffman is also a part of that. You know, the guys from PayPal and LinkedIn and just... I'm actually working with a group who's raising $200 million for new uh, mining facilities. So uh... Yeah, it's like numbers like this are staggering. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what they're doing is they're investing in illiquid assets to support a liquid asset. So they are more long than anybody, but they also have the most supply. So a lot of people kind of say, oh, well, miners are the, the biggest suppliers of Bitcoin to the market, which causes the most downward pressure. So when prices uh, readjust, you know, they're going to they're gonna want to dump before the halvening while they have a lot in order to keep prices up. And there's all sorts of different theories and nobody really knows uh, what they're going to do. But I know, you know, per, just from personal interactions that they're not necessarily selling their Bitcoin. A lot of them are not just selling to, because the, the idea is like, okay, well, you need to sell your Bitcoin because your costs are denominated in US dollars. So if you want to keep the lights on on your mining operation, then you need US dollars. And the only profit that you make is from these Bitcoin uh, to US dollar conversions. But they're actually, what they're doing is they're, they're just lending out their Bitcoin. So they'll yeah. go to a person like Celsius or like BlockFi and say, hey, or even over the counter and they'll get they'll get a sweet deal that way in, in large blocks but you could lend out a block of you know 50 bitcoin and keep that right you still keep the overall exposure to the asset but you could get cash in you know you could get cash and use basically your bitcoin as collateralized uh collateral for these loans and then you pay back your loans eventually and stuff and you get to keep your net exposure to bitcoin so all that to say 
miners definitely play an important role. We're going to see their block rewards from 1800 a day to 900 a day. That's going to reduce a lot of the sell pressure. But I, I think going into the halving, we're going to see long-term ton of price appreciation, short-term ton of volatility. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the options market starting to pick all that up because the, the halving happens in May. So we're only really four months away, yeah. four and a half months away. Wonderful. We've been, uh, it's been, it's been great uh, speaking with you, Bryce. Any final thoughts here? What did I, what did I miss? Or what did you want to share before, uh, you know, I'll let you go here? No, this you extremely com comprehensive. And I, I want to thank you for bringing me on. I guess the last thing I've kind of been thinking a lot about sure. is have you, if you've heard a company called Square uh, by Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, yeah, the sure. guy who started Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, I feel like Square is super big. Um, every almost, you know, every coffee shop I go into has square uh -huh. uh, point of sales. You know, you go to a hairdresser, they have their square thing. So it's a really cool app that basically makes vendors, you know, be able to take their business on the go. And, you know, I'm not affiliated with square in any means, but I think what they're doing is really cool. Jack actually just is more or less all in on Bitcoin. He says he buys $10,000 of Bitcoin a week, which is enviable to say the least. Yeah. But he just moved to Africa to spin up a whole, um, you know, Bitcoin focused arm over there. But all, all this to say is that, you know, I think that Square eventually within the next year or two is going to start accepting Bitcoin and all their point of sales. And, you know, that is that is just what my gut tells me because they're heavily invested in, for instance, Lightning Labs, which is, you know, building, you know, the Lightning Network, which is a scalable solution on top of Bitcoin to make them the, the payments just extremely quick and, and scalable and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, all that to say is there's going to be a ton of retail adoption through platforms that we're already familiar with. And a lot of the times people won't even have to know they're using Bitcoin. It'll just run in the background. It's kind of just like, you know, when you're loading an internet web page, you don't think about all the different web sockets that that is jacked into and you know, your IP address and how routing works. And you don't think about any of that. You just load up the web page and you kind of get what you need. You, 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 get, you download your Netflix, but you don't understand all the bandwidth constraints. And there's just a lot of technical things that go into the internet, just like Bitcoin. And you don't need to understand. Like uh, I tell people all the time, you don't need to understand. Don't try to understand everything because I've been in this industry for so many years and I still learn new things every day. And I'm still talking to people smarter than me. And I'm still you know, growing and growing, which makes my job really fun and which makes me so passionate and, you know, excited to wake up in the morning and just dive into an industry that you're, you're just crazy about and people right. that you just could learn from. So just don't get discouraged. Don't, don't, don't think that like, because you don't understand it, it's not for you. You'll quickly realize that, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely for you. And you know, you should, no. you should at least get a little bit of exposure uh, right. from your portfolio and yeah, then no, no, I'm, I'm start to there. see the gains. Yeah, once you start to see the gains, you'll start to want to learn more. Just just on my end, just to finish up here, I think there's going to be a, a massive adoption also in the gaming world, where basically mm -hmm. they already have a lot of experience with virtual you know, goodies and virtual assets and virtual currencies in a sense. And I think that's an area because it's a massive, a massive industry as well. I think we'll see some uh, interesting developments there with integration of cryptocurrencies within the gaming platforms. The, the other thing that I that I see, and again, it's happening right now, it's a company like, or, or an app like Pepo. I don't know if you've heard about it, but- Pepo. Oh yeah, Jason Goldberg's thing. Yeah, yeah. so you, you had him on, on your podcast as well, I believe. I mean, this is, this is the first blockchain-based app that was approved in the App Store, right? And it's sort of a new social media, video-based kind of medium, but you wouldn't know that it's blockchain-based. So it works right. like any other app. 
it works wonderfully well. It's scaling nicely and you, you can pay with the Pepo token and then it works very well and you can exchange it for value. And right there, you have something that works right out of the box. You don't have to even know that it's blockchain based. You actually don't realize it unless they tell you. Uh, and I think that's that's where you know slowly the adoption the adoption is going to come from as they scale. Some other people will will see, wow, this is this is real stuff, and um, this is not tomorrow. This is today. So I think I'm you know there's reason to be very optimistic there. Hundred percent agree. All right, my man. I'm going to wish you a very happy Friday and rest of the weekend. I wish you good luck with the uh, with the forum. Obviously, I will be Thank there uh, listening, and we have a lot more to discuss, but I'm pretty sure we'll be able to redo this in the foreseeable future. And uh, again, great talking to you, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be speaking. Likewise. Have a nice day. Bye-bye.